there was a young man from Devizes whose bollocks were two different sizes. One weighed a pound and dragged on the ground, and the other's as big as a flies is. Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in... Everyone together? Sunny. Sunny. Santa Cruz. I think think you're in a different Santa Cruz than I'm in. It's not. <laughs> In normally sunny Santa Cruz. We gotta sell it. We gotta sell it. It's about to be gully washer Santa Cruz here in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All well, week. Ooh, and uh um in a sec yeah, well we'll get to who's in the garage, but then Emma, should I tell about the little um um the little drama that happened here with the, the rain cover? What? Yes. Yes. I'll get to that. Well, let's get to who's in the garage today, the virtual garage. Hey, everyone. This is Liza and and coming to us from the the warmth of her her office. It's Miss Emma. Hey, darlings. Here I am. I'm in rainy Marina, California, USA. Um, And uh, it's a wonderful evening. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm actually tired. We had a good long day today. Yes, it was. It, it was. It's always tiring with you, Liza. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I watched you do everything, and that just tired. Me. Uh, <laughs> like no, I, Liza. I was very, very good today. You I were. tried to do as little as possible, and I directed um, a young man to repair his own bike, and you know, it, I think it turned out quite well. Sounds familiar. I, I think so too. Well, um, let's get to uh, our own. You know what? I'm trying to figure out which one of you looks most like a cartoon character. It might be this next guy. It's Rick. Hey, I'm a cartoon character. I'll take it. <laughs> you are, yeah, but uh, no, hang on, Rick. Hang on, because this is an I'm adult just... rated show. You are a cartoon. And like I have Fritz got the cat. Proof. Thank no, you. He's, well said. he's got a cartoon of him. Done by his delightful girlfriend. Oh. That is actually oh, a sticker. Is that? And you do oh. sound the most like a Cartoon Network character, I have to say. I'll take it. Yeah. You know, uh, I feel free for voiceover work. I'll be available. You can get a hold of me at uh, I am Rick. Uh, no. <laughs> Things have been a little quiet since Ren and Stimpy. Oh, man. Don't you miss it when cartoons were outlandish and like on 11 all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, I used I used to enjoy Dexter's Lab. Yeah, I thought that was he, he had this sort of weird East European generic accent, which <laughs> you could never place. I mean, so where specific. was Dexter from? He just had that sort of scientist accent. And then uh, normally in his shed, but not maybe because <laughs> he wants to be warm. It's Naked Jim. That's part of it. It snuck up on me, too. Hey, what's up, everybody? Stay safe a little bit longer. <laughs> but check out, this is the art. I was going to use this as my background. Oh, that's cool. What, it's, uh, nice. Isn't that bitching? Oh, yeah, that that's is cool. cool. Like a board track board track racer? Mm-hmm, something like that. Yeah. Anyway. That is cool. The skeleton. All right. And, of course, it's everyone's favorite ginger. It's Bagel. Greetings from cold and wet Oregon. Mm. Uh to uh, let you all know, Amor Vincit Omnia, 
What? Hey? Yeah. <laughs> Love conquers all. Ah. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Wait. <laughs> Is that why you're in Oregon? Is that why you're in Oregon? Um, well, it's not the only reason why, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you find love, Bale? Maybe. <gasps> oh, he's got that glow. He's got that smile. He either bought a new bike <laughs> or... Oh, it's the smile of a sucker, one way or another. No, we need to explore this a little bit, Bagel. Did you fall in love, darling? I, I have, yes. <gasps> oh, wow. God. Yes. Wait, yes. we still have to establish, is it a bike or a person? It is a woman. Oh, even better. Yes. Wow. Congratulations, Bagler. Thank you. Yes, I met someone recently, and we've hit it off very, very well. And, uh, yeah, she is absolutely delightful. Well, of course. I wouldn't uh, expect you to be somebody who wanted to murder you in your bed, darling. Oh, of course not. (laughs) Quite the opposite. That's fantastic. (laughs) Oh, well done, you. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled for you. Why, thanks. Uh, I should you. start selling your scooters now to afford an engagement ring. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get them running first. <laughs> Good oh. Nice. Well, you guys know the unofficial rule here uh, on the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. First time you're on the show, you're a guest. Second time, you're a returning guest. Third time, you're a misfit. So I think it is official now. Joining it us. It might be four. It might be four. It's Austin. Hey, Austin. How are you? Hey, great. How are you, Liza? Good to be here. Good I, to it see might you. be my fourth time. It to... might be. You're definitely a misfit by now. Yeah. yeah I know I am. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's Austin Rothbard from twistedroad.com. You guys, yeah. we go, we have a long history going back with you. I remember when it yeah. was just like an idea that I had heard about, just new concept. And I, you know, um, anytime there's something new in the motorcycle community that I think is really brilliant, I'm in. I'm on board. Uh, just like, you know, I got my Quinn helmet coming, you guys. Got my new nice. Quinn helmet, the new adventure helmet. Yeah, I can't wait to get it. Um, and Twisted Road is up there, too. I love the idea. Yeah, and I had I had my bikes up there for years. Thanks. Now. Yeah, it's going well. We're growing. It's been really nice. It's been quite a ride. I think the first time that I was there, we had just started. Right, Liza? Or yeah. just a few? Yeah, just started. Um, and then I think I saw you. Um, like in February at the One Moto Show, we've probably only been live for like two months or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been three years now. Wow, Isn't that crazy. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I, I believe it. And, and Liza's been a proponent of this from the very yeah. beginning, kind of like yeah. the Break Free Tech um, yeah. bike helmets. You, Jim, I was going to say because when Liza talked about new technology, I was going to say the Break Free Tech is—it's so amazing. You guys should have him on the show. He's a great guy. You don't know that Alex has been on the show. Earlier than you were, actually. Oh, no, I didn't know that. He came down to the garage with a little balsa wood model and like Velcro and rubber bands and oh. showed his idea okay. to us. That's so cool. So we've been cool. following it from the inception. That's The cool. early prototypes, everything. So, yeah, so he's been on the show quite a few times as well. Awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, new technology I like. But That's great. if there's anyone out there who doesn't know what Twisted Road is, can you explain it? Sure. Um, we're a company that um, we let people rent each other's motorcycles. Mm-hmm. So if you have a bike in the garage that you're not riding, you can put it on our site and make some money every time somebody else needs a bike in your area and decides to rent it. So we are a lot like Airbnb, but instead of renting out somebody's house, you get to rent their bike. Yeah, it's that so simple. In a nutshell, and it's I've, that simple. I've rented my bikes a bunch of times. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, there's some bikes that just get rented a lot and yours are some of them. I mean, we have people who have told us that they've paid off their bikes and bought a new, a second bike with uh, the money they make from us. Mine are not that popular, but it's enough uh, for years. It was enough to justify just keeping like my Versus around that was just an extra bike. Um, because the rental, I, the few rentals I got paid the expenses just to keep it. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. And Santa Cruz doesn't get a lot of activity. You know, it's just not as, there's not as many, the demand's not as high as say Vegas or LA or some of our other bigger cities. Yeah. We don't have an airport right here in town. Right. But, um, there are people who want to go ride up and down the coast and totally. Totally. those are the people that I've gotten. Um, I sold the Versus, so that came down, but I got the KLR. I'm considering putting more of my bikes up. I'll tell you the one issue I had with Twisted Road, which isn't your issue. The issue was every time I planned to go out of town, I got a rental. Uh, (laughs) I was like, damn it. Yeah. 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 So that was the only, the, the thing is trying to arrange for, neighbors to take care of the transaction or right. somebody to be my proxy or uh leaving keys and messages and, and yeah. swap, swapping photos and doing all the things um that was the only issue but uh it's it's been years and i want to get a you know catch up where are things with you now uh, gosh um yeah. things are good we uh last year was a really good year it was a record year for us we grew a lot um the beginning of COVID, we slowed down a bunch, but starting in, let's see, March and April were slow, and then May picked up again, and we saw some real nice growth every month of the year. Um, what else is new last year? I think we got our new insurance plan in place. We had one two years ago, but then in the past, in 2020, we added um, owner liability insurance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think we talked, I don't know if I talked about this, but Liza, you've yeah. always asked me about it. Like, are we, are we insuring the owner in any way? Now we are. Mm-hmm. So every ride, the owner's insured for a million, up to a million dollars of liability sharing. Yeah. That's always been the number one question with people, um, is, is the insurance. Yeah. Plain and simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah I would say, I would say the biggest obstacle just when I talk to a lot of people and, and, and talk about this whole concept, you know, I think the biggest obstacle is people who think of their motorcycle as their baby and there's no way, you know, they would let their baby into someone else's hands, you know? Yeah, I get it. It's, you know, and I'm, I would never try to talk someone into it. We, we, right. um, like my house isn't on Airbnb. I don't want someone sleeping in my bed. So right. I can understand it. I can totally understand it. But for those who maybe have extra bikes or don't use theirs enough or want extra income, right? then the next always question is, how does the insurance work? And we, we insure bikes up to $40,000 in value. So if there's damage that's, you know, a small drop to a full total, we'll take care of it. Nothing out of pocket for the owner for any of the damages. And there's, there's, so there's really no risk to the owner of a bike. You know, put your bike on the site. If it gets rented, great. You make some money. If anything gets damaged, we fix it. And, uh, and if you never get a rental because there's not enough demand on the type of bike you have, that's okay. You didn't lose anything. It doesn't cost anything to join. Well, and I remind people, um, the main reason that I put my bikes up there wasn't because I needed the money. It's because right. I wanted to be able to rent bikes when I travel. 
And right. I don't expect everyone else to provide bikes for me without me providing bikes for them. It's kind right. of very a give communal. and take. Very communal. Exactly. If you want to be a part in the system, I, you know, for me, I'm going to be a part of the solution as well and provide right. more bikes. And right. this was at a time when you were still trying to fill in holes in the country. Yeah, right? we're all over the country now. We've got bikes everywhere. And we, and, um, we just started a big program in Illinois this past summer, and we're rolling it out to different parts of the country slowly. Um, but we started signing dealers. And so dealers can put their used inventory on our site. And it's, it's great for extended test rides. Um, people go, they try a bike out, and maybe they decide they want to buy it. A, a bike is real personal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it feels different in a 20-minute test ride than it does if you have it for a few days. So, uh, And in fact... A friend of ours has signed up. Ooh. Phil. Right? Philippe? Nice. Phil Cleveland Moto. Oh, Phil. Phil right, right, right. Yeah. Phil. Phil. Oh, I'm like, cool. I'm, yeah. I'm missing something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil. Yeah, Phil Cleveland Moto just signed up and he will, his bikes will be live uh, soon. It's cold there. So we're not expecting any rentals to come through, but they will soon. Right. Well, and here's the thing. Um, Phil's a smart man and smart guy. he's going to make sure everything is in line and yep. that everything he's not going to possibly lose out on anything or be a hit in any way, but instead right. is providing uh, opportunities. So for me, it seems like a win-win. Um, and I know, and Emma and, and Rick, maybe you can comment on this. Back in the day, you used to be able to go anywhere and they'd hand you the keys and you go test ride a bike. And well, over the years, I saw that happen less and less and yeah, less. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up there a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was never the case in Europe. Okay. It was a lot more free in America, but it got so bad. I mean, bikes right up until the late '90s, when I worked at the original big dealership down in San Luis Obispo. I mean, bikes were coming back just absolutely destroyed from a single test ride so you know it's unsustainable and it's always been a dealer thing this is important to differentiate the manufacturers will let you register a bike as a demonstrator but there's not that much money in it um it's always been a dealer thing if you want to do it the manufacturers won't really back you up so there's no real incentive for it this really opens the key now it opens yeah. the door right. to right. decent length test rides right. because this is a big commitment yeah. if you want an if you want a decent entry level good size bike it's 10 grand right and you can slice that and dice that any way you want but 10 grand's a lot of change and you know what Emma? Anyway. If, if if we had we have a few of the harley uh live wires on the site there you and go I've 30 grand and I and I've said and I've said to people, you know, you might as well spend a couple hundred dollars on an airline ticket, fly to either Tampa or the Bay Area or LA, and rent a thirty thousand dollar bike for a day or two to see if you like it before you spend that much money. Right. It's worth a what a four hundred dollar investment to oh, see good. if it's good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the test ride you're going to get from the dealership, considering you know the bike on a live wire, yeah, they'll let you hop on it, but at that point you've already given them all of your Info, everything blood type your birth weight everything your sample yeah totally we do but, a, we do we do a lot of of checks before people uh get on the bike so emma was talking about bikes that come back just damaged and and, and yeah. trashed we we um 
there are a lot of checks that people go through before they got on a bike. So our dam our claims rates really, really low. Awesome. Um, and then the last step that we do before you hop, before we give you the keys is we, we take a, a thousand dollar credit card hold and that just stops some people. And, and quite frankly, the people it stops are t- typically the people with the highest risk. Right. And that's the point I wanted to make because, you know, as soon as you talk about bikes from a dealership and getting damaged, it's very different through hiring through somebody like Twisted Road. Right. So you, you, you're basically renting through Twisted Road and there's contract and, as you say, there's a deposit, which right. is the same as whenever you hire any vehicle. Right. Um, right. I recently, it's, our, it's our job. You know, it's our job. Right. Our job is to is verify and build trust. And the dealers is to sell bikes. And they're different jobs. It's a different job. And there's the world of difference between writing a contract with tis, Twisted Road for renting a bike yeah. and a dealer back in the old days, just throwing somebody the key mm-hmm. yeah. saying, take it away. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Thanks. More power Thanks. to you. It's yeah. going great. It's going really well. So uh, well, I, as it should. I just want to give an opportunity. Do you want to throw out some names of some dealers in the cities that have signed up and done this? Yeah, sure. Get, let's we, give some uh, plugs out to them. Okay. So, um, just about almost every Harley dealer in Illinois, in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, there's God, a dozen nice. Chicago uh, and some Milwaukee dealers in, uh, that are all Harleys. We have Windy City International Triumph and, and uh, Woodstock KTM, which are in, also in the Chicago area. We've got um, Texas Motorsports, which is um, north of Austin. And we have Destination Cycles, which is out in the Hill Country. Great, great places to ride. Uh, major power sports in Vegas, mm-hmm. um, and then Cleveland Moto is coming on. Nice. It's a nice little sample. Maybe we can get somebody up in Northern California to sign up. I hope so. Hey, do you remember you? Do you remember you told me to get in touch with a gentleman, yep. Matt? Yep. Well, he and I have spoken, and he's been really good. So hopefully, we can he can help us connect with some of those dealers in Northern California. Yeah, I hope that works out. So, okay, and um, I hit you with this every time. So just get ready. I'm going to wallop you again. Let's see if anything has changed. Could Bagel list his scooters on your site yet? No. Oh, oh. Austin. It's not going to happen in, <laughs> uh, in 2021. Okay. So, but keep asking. Keep so, asking. okay. Um, I have a I have a question for you, Austin. Sure, um, I don't know you, whether you've been listening to the podcast recently, and of course I know you hang on our every word. <laughs> but I'm actually making this huge leap of faith. I'm opening my own motorcycle shop, okay. and it looks like it's going to be happening within the next few weeks. Okay. Um, it's not going to be a dealership. I mean, it really sure. is going to be just a small workshop very much of the old school great but i seem to recall you actually had a use for those kind of shops almost as facilitators for the twisted road rentals coming in and out isn't that well, right uh we were we were very early in that um it didn't really develop but oh that's here's, a shame here, here's here's um we do have somebody and who's who's really well connected in a large city and he goes out to the riding community and he says anybody who wants 
me to manage it for you. I will manage it for you. And he takes photos. He does the treat key transfer. He does every single thing. And he's built up quite a community of, hmm. of riders. So um, it's, you know, one day maybe we'll use, we'll use uh, shops as a, uh, as a hub, but it's not, it's not part of what we do today. Okay. Not yet. Yeah. And really from my point of view, it, it I just want to be as big a service to the motorcycle community at large as I can. And obviously that will include yours, but it sounds like you're doing very, very well on your own. It's been good. I've got a great story for you guys. So you know how I, I I'll say past tense, I owned a Moto Guzzi V7 Classic. Oh, I, I remember it very it. well. I, I just sold it. Oh. So um, when I sold it, I put it up on whatever Craigslist and Cycle Trader. And in both places, I said, by the way, this bike is available for rent on Twisted Road. And I gave the link. And a guy contacted me. He'd never heard about us before. Decided to rent the bike. Was thinking about buying it. Came to the house. Got the keys. And the next day, he was renting it for the weekend. So the next morning, I got a text from him with an offer. And um, he's now, you know, he owns it. He's he's really ha- he's the yes, ha- the happiest guy. It was his first his first bike. Uh, there was a bracket that I that I forgot to give him. I texted him. He came up three days later, rode up in the rain. He's covered with water, a big smile on his face. Those early days of riding. And um, it was really cool for me because, you know, it allowed a way to, for, for me to sell my bike much more easily. Someone could take a test ride. It's one of the biggest complaints that people have with buying a used motorcycle is they can't test ride it. Um, so it was it was really good. Uh, it, it, it worked. It worked well. So if people are listening and thinking about selling their bikes, uh, list it on Twisted Road. It's free. And then put a link in your in your listing, linking back to us for people to test ride it before they buy it. It'll really help you sell. That's, what you're saying, that's what big. You're saying is, what you're saying is people can earn extra money by selling their bike on Twisted Road. Uh, or or by selling they're covered. We don't have an ability. We don't have the ability yet um, to sell a bike. We don't have that in the plans right. to sell a bike. Okay. But 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 you can say come rent it on Twisted Road and test ride it and make sure you like it. Because mm-hmm. when I was when I first got in the industry, I was talking to somebody about this, and he said, "Yeah, no one lets you test ride their bike." The one time someone let me test ride their bike before I bought it on Craigslist, they said, yeah, just give me all the cash right, right. now and I'll have it in my hand. Because yep. they don't know if you're going to come back or not. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if you're right. going to dump a block. So this way, it's completely covered. You know, Let someone test ride it and fall in love with it. In fact, there's a bike that I think I'm going to buy, but it's, it's, a, it's a big move for me to say I'm, I think I'm going to buy it because I've never ridden it, which is a, um, a Moto Guzzi Griso. I've heard great oh, that, that's a great bike. Yeah, I keep hearing great things about it. And I saw one, and um, I need to ride it. I need to ride it before I try. So when I'm out in that part of the country, I'll ask the guy to put it up on Twisted Road. I'll fully insured when I ride it around the block for a couple of miles. And then if it's great, I'll buy it, and I'll ride it home. All right, so you've got you're, – you're signing up dealerships. Um, yeah. You're, you, you're offering to people that if you're listing your bike for sale to also list on Twisted Road – so that they can rent it out as a test ride, sure. which then you may deduct the the cost of the rental 
from the selling price, but right. at least if, if you're, covered, bucks, you're covered you know. and those people can really test ride the bike and not just go totally. around the block once. Um, so I've got another question for you. Sure. So uh, Jim and I are planning uh, potentially another trip this summer. Okay. And where we want to go, we need to fly there because we can only go for the weekend. And there's only one bike for rent there. We need more bikes for rent. What, what city is it in? It's uh, the Black Hills. So Rapid City, Sturgis, yeah. that area, yeah. right? Yeah, we don't have much there, which is shocking. But I have a local connection there that knows oh, nice. the shops. Nice. So if I want to have bikes available... Yeah. Can I send you contact information? Yes. Yeah. Send it. And so send if it. someone else is doing that too, say they're traveling somewhere and yeah. the, there's not enough bikes that, for them or, you know, then they can, if they know someone there who knows the shop, People, send shop. the information you said, hey- Here's the information. Here's the guy. Now, do you want these people to first go and kind of pitch? Hey, would you be interested in listing bikes for rent on Twisted whatever Road? You, whatever you want. You know, there's okay. a lot of questions that usually come with it. Like what what happens if someone drops the bike is always the first question. Mm-hmm. But if you want to answer some of those, great. If not, just send me their name and number and I'll take and I'll and I'll handle it. And if you have images of your bike and you know what the drive the license plate number is. It'll probably take you about three minutes to list your bike on our site. It's really easy and fast. Easy. Yeah, it is. Um, and I like the fact that you can type in a city or you can go on the map and see it and it'll show you what is around there. So, like, we're looking at the Black Hills and then I was like, well, maybe we could fly to Denver. And there's a yep. ton of bikes in Denver. Yep. And ride up to the Black Hills. So Did it's I like. Tight- did yeah. I tell you my story about this? I was going to go. I had a I had a conference to go to in Vegas. I don't know if I told you guys this story. Oh, so I'm like, okay, should I ride my bike from Chicago to Vegas? Well, the ride to Denver is one of the worst rides ever. It's just flat and straight, right? But the ride from Denver to Vegas is one of the greatest rides. So what do I do? So instead, usually when you go someplace... You say, oh, I'm going to San Francisco. Okay, I'll fly to San Francisco, get a hotel in San Francisco, and I'll also get a rental car in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But with our company, what I did was I said, all right, I got to go to Vegas. I'm going to fly to uh, Denver. Mm -hmm. I rented a motorcycle in Denver. I rode to Vegas. I spent my time at the conference, and I rode back, and I took two different routes there. And so now when you realize, you know, you, you can be on the road for a few days really enjoying the ride. Um, it really opens you up. So your idea to fly into Denver and ride to the Black Hill, it's a great one. It's a great one because you're seeing parts of the country you wouldn't have seen on your way to where you're going. Well, and, and that brings up another question. So I, I realize that there's a lot of bikes in Denver. What are some other places in the country that you have a lot of listings that are pretty, have a lot of choices for people? Uh, we, we have a lot in Southern California and LA. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot in San Francisco, a lot in San Diego. So the whole See, really, LA down south is great. Um, we have some nice pockets in Texas, uh, you know, Austin, San Antonio, um, Dallas, and Houston, also. And then uh, Denver, like you said. Um, and there's a ton of bikes in Illinois right now, um, in the Chicago area, and a little bit in Wisconsin with this dealer program. Now, and and another thing that comes up that I want to just put out there, if you are somebody who's putting your bike up for rent, here's the other thing that's nice. If somebody wants to rent it, they request it 
you get to review them and their writing history and approve them or not. It's not just right. a done deal. Right. And that's another feature that I like that I can look like if I want to, you know, I haven't put up my Africa twin yet because it's my baby. You know, get yeah, yeah. But if I was, I want to make sure that somebody has some riding experience on larger bikes before, you know, letting that bike out. And Liza, so, can I tell you something crazy? Yeah. We're, we're doing that now with our insurance. Our insurance company checks a number of different things. I don't want to re reveal too much, mm -hmm. but we check certain things to see if somebody actually has the skills to ride a big bike. Yeah. Well, I know um, I, I'll get that when in somebody's profile, it says what right. bikes they own. So you're like, oh, he has a GS 1200. Oh yeah, no right. problem. It's not going to exactly. be no brainer. So exactly. I like that about it too. It's not just blind rental. Unlike the, on Airbnb where you get people, you're, I think I just saw on Facebook, somebody said, I just rented out my place on Airbnb and I swear they had a paintball fight in my house. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, so that's the yeah. other thing too, is that you have the control to say yes or no. Exactly. Total control in the owner's, in the owner's hands. Yeah. Uh, if you're on vacation, if you're out of town, if you need the bike for the weekend, so when a re request comes in, you can't honor it, just decline it. You know, there'll be other bikes for that person and we'll help them through the process. So, um, I want to check in with Rick because Rick, did you know about this concept before? Did you know about Twisted Road? I heard about it on the show a couple of years ago. Is this? And I remember hearing like infancy of and kind of the right. idea. I think was kind of <clears throat> I recalled, and it sounded awesome. It made perfect sense. So People I want to use you bikes. as an example of a typical person. Would you travel and rent a bike on Twisted Road? Totally. Um, I was talking to someone at work about it, actually. You, I got an email about what we were doing, and I'm like, oh, right on. And I'm, I love bouncing stuff off of him because he's a moto dude in such a different flavor than I. Right. And I, so he's my he's my buddy Garrett I work with. And uh, I was like, Garrett, what do you think about this? Have you heard about right on? You know, he's like, oh, yeah. I went to Hawaii, and I, I was going to get a TW200, and I definitely didn't. I'm like, oh, what happened? And he's like, I got really drunk and didn't. <laughs> Uh, I was like, oh, well, that might have been destiny. Yeah. It comes out, you know, probably, hell, it probably was. But the idea that you could be on a vacation somewhere, spur of the moment, pull it out of your ass, you know, hey, we're in Denver, we have an extra yep. day to fly cut screwed yep. and make yep. the best of it. That's pretty so, rad. So let me ask you this. Would you list your bike on Twisted Road? I was thinking this the uh -huh. whole time you said This it. is the hard part. I, I probably wouldn't, and it's probably just a personal thing because I'm one of those ding-dongs. I can count on three fingers how many people have ridden my bike, mm -hmm. and you know, two of them worked on it and helped me build it. You so know what's really it. crazy? Right when I got my bike, this guy who I knew in the area, um, he's been riding. He's got a few bikes, and he said to me, you know, uh, one of these days we'll swap bikes. You know, you can ride mine for whatever, keep it for one of mine for a couple of weeks, and I'll keep yours. We'll just try them out. And I remember saying, yeah, it's a great idea, and walking away thinking, that's the, craziest, that's the freaking craziest idea ever. I'm very happy with mine. You know, I don't want him yeah. riding. It was very personal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I thought he was nuts for even asking. And and now I've got this business. By the way, he's got like four of his bikes on the site, including a Goldwing that gets rented out all the time. Yeah. That'd be an awesome bike to rent, actually, for somebody that's never been on a wing and, you know, to get your to wrap your head around what a wing really can be. Right. You know, right. that's a really cool idea. The extended test ride concept. Totally Working at a dealership. I mean, we actually do test rides and that blows people's mind daily. Yeah. yeah I work at an Indian dealership in Northern California and, you know, trying to make a, a hard charge at a V twin market as somebody who doesn't have the 
whole market in the palm of their hand, you got to be willing to do some stuff. Yep. And test rides is a really easy one for us, being a shop that's been around for a million years. You know, we were the ones that were always like, yeah, sure, go run it around, see what you think. You know, yeah, and and see- Rick, I've got, I've got to ask you, because I know Indians being pretty proactive with that. Do Indian give you any support with that test riding program, or is it entirely your dealership? You know, they do. They, they pay us some mileage on demo program. So they'll let us take a few of our units and do it. But at the same time, they don't do a damn thing for our used units. And our pre-owned, right. we let do test rides too. And you talking about ride on in the pre-owned, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go bounce that around the shop. It kind of sounds like a cool idea for an extended test ride. Maybe not every unit. I get it. You know, there's going to be some stuff you might not want to do it with. But shit, man, when you're trying to work with something that maybe somebody's new to, Yep. It'd be a cool opportunity, like you were saying. There's a difference between a quick dance with a motorcycle, and there's a difference between a weekend with it. Yep, right. You know, and that can really make or break what happens. Yeah, and it and, is. It, it's. Oh, sorry, Michael. Oh yeah, I just want to say um, that when I when I was first before I'd gotten my first modern Vespa, um, I'd been riding, riding vintage scooters for for years, and the idea of an automatic transmission modern scooter just really did not appeal to me. Um, but it wasn't until I talked to a dealer and they were willing to let me take an extended, uh, t- extended test ride on one and borrow it for the weekend. Right. Uh, and I rode it all around the Bay Area and really got to appreciate the good things about it that I wouldn't have known otherwise. And that sold me on modern Vespas. And then after that's when I bought my first one and kept going from there. Right. That's a great story. Jim, did you have something? Yeah. Okay. I got a totally fresh angle that I think. <laughs> Austin will appreciate, go. and Liza, Liza will get on this one. But first, <laughs> I want to say that, yeah, Austin's been coming on for a long time. And just listening to him speak this time, what a long way you've come. Um, yeah. I can remember we used to pepper you with questions from the very beginning. Even though Liza was an early supporter because yeah. she believed in the concept, she would ask the hard questions about insurance and if this happens and what about right. that. And I tell you what, um, back then it was a little bit of we're figuring that out. And, yeah, we're working on that. And you'll yeah. be good. Um, but, I, you know, I was always a little wary, you know, talking three years ago when we first sure. met. But now when you come out and you say you're insured to this, we're doing background checks for big bikes. And right. now you've got a track record. I'm just stoked it's come so far. Thanks, you got buddy. it wired thanks. so tight. Yeah, really thanks. Cool. So, okay. feels different. It feels, feels so, different. Yeah, and, and you you sound totally different. It's great. Thanks. So here's the new angle, Liza. You can jump in. All right. Um, let's say Bagel might be curious. Um, you get a new girlfriend. She's not into riding, you know, but you want to get her into riding. And you got to try different bikes out and the Goldwing made me think of this so maybe your usual ride you know is like a, a sport bike or something and your girl gets on that and like that's terrible so then you're like hmm let's try an indian cross country or let's try a uh you know a harley pick your one right. or what have you and then you could try out different bikes with your partner to find out what works for the two of you great idea it's a great idea anyway. Yeah, I give Liza a credit idea. for it. Yeah, when I, you said Goldwing, it really came to mind. Because, I suggested you know, that. Yeah, so because he's he's got a lady friend, and Jim has a lot of bikes. They're great bikes. They're not great for passengers. Right. On purpose, and, of course. And like all of us, <laughs> selfish. I I <laughs> truly believe first. If you want to impress impress a you know a, a lady friend a passenger, make them as comfortable as possible. And if you have you know, a bagger or a gold wing or something like that, I think they'll enjoy the experience better. And it'll be more of a fun outing riding in luxury with them rather than them holding on like a backpack. 
That's all. That's all. Can I tell you a funny story? I'll tell you a funny story. Years ago, I used to run a boat. I ran a boat company and the company I was with purchased it from the original founders. So um, I had the, the, the luxury of sitting down with these guys that built this company up for 15 years and talking to them about things. And one of the things we talked about was new boat design. So we're, we're talking about designing this one boat and somebody thought we should have a single seat in the cockpit for this one boat. And he said, no, you need a, a bench seat with, 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 you know, for a passenger to sit next to you. And someone said, well, why would you want a bench seat on the, on a 35 foot boat, but on a 40 and higher, you want a single kind of captain's chair. And he said, when someone's buying a 35 foot boat, they're dreaming about the person, the girl who's going to be sitting next to them all the time when they go out <laughs> fishing. And then by the time they get to a 40 foot boat, they realize they're fishing by themselves and no one's going to be sitting next to them. <laughs> wow. Great. What a, awesome, but... what a difference five foot makes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of difference to your pocketbook. Cause I know for a fact, you know, a uh, 35-foot boat is about 100,000 cheaper than a 40-foot boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, was, it was compelling, though. I mean, like, for example, you know, I ride an Africa Twin, which is more comfortable than an FC1, you know, on a pillion. But, uh, but all of a sudden, you start talking about the Harleys or a, like a cross-country, something like mm-hmm. that. Totally different experience for the passenger. Right. So anyway, I thought that was a cool idea, Liza. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. cool. I mean, I think the upshot, Austin, I mean – We've kind of seen you grow, and the first time you came on the show, as you said, it was very, very early days for Twisted yeah. Road. Yeah, and was. like us, you've grown. And yeah, thanks. It's, it's, it's really fantastic to see it. Yeah, I appreciate and hearing if, that. If we played a, even the smallest part in the development of your company, um, that's wonderful well you did of course you did and we we get people all the time who say oh i heard about you through the misfits and i heard you on the misfits um do you we still have your your uh referral code is still up and running liza if if anyone first time on our site Mm -hmm. um if they go to our site and they log in and when they log in there's a button that says click do you have a referral code yeah right when you're registering um you can type in misfit and if you type in misfit you get a free day of riding. If you rent for three days or more, you only pay for two. And if you, uh, uh, and then if you rent for one or two days, you get 25% off. So free day, if it's three days or more and one or two days, you get 25% off. Misfits the code. That's awesome. I'm glad that that's still up there. Oh, it's still up there. Yeah. And hopefully someday we can get our scooters on there too. Hopefully that's someday. Nice. Hopefully someday. Well, you know, if they weren't damn death traps, they might be more inclined. <laughs> well, you know, when you're riding them, they're one Whatever. thing. And when Bagel rides them, they're something else. <laughs> you just don't know how to ride a scooter. I know. I'm, you know, I should point out, though, I'm very happy in a skirt bagel. Oh, yes. Well, yes. for riding a scooter. Since we established that scooters aren't for rent, let's establish some of the other parameters here. Do you have any trikes? For rent? Uh, we do, but okay. we don't have them on the general site. So dealers okay. with trikes, we're allowing as a test right now. Okay, good. Doing really well in the Midwest. And what about Can-Am Spiders? The other Not three yet. Guns. Getting a lot of requests for those also. 
we get more requests for those than we do for scooters and and they're not on yet what about polaris slingshot not, same okay so those are things that may be coming down the road is there a um can a, is there a minimum cc to requirement um there really isn't but the way we like to think about it is unless it's a bike with a sidecar it has to have two wheels and and be able to go on the highway Okay. And so that's kind of our general rule of thumb. We also only take street bikes, no dirt bikes. So we check bikes for license plates and turn signals and, and, um, you know, and, and the tires just to make sure that they're not really dirt bikes that people are putting on. I think I've looked at that too. You don't want people to take even like an adventure bike and go riding in the dirt, right? Not yet. It has to be on. Not yet. It has to be on the street. And then um, what about um, how old can a bike be? Are there vintage bikes on there? We have vintage bikes on there. I think the oldest bike I've got on the site is from 1943, 1953. Wow. Do you know what it is? It's an Indian. It's an Indian. Oh, that's cool. Are we foot clutching and, yeah, tank shifting? and All sorts of, yeah, the controls are all backward. Wow. Hell yeah. Um, there's some vintage bikes in Connecticut. There's a, there's a woman in Connecticut that does a lot of restorations and she puts her bikes up there as well. So we don't have an age limit on the bikes. No. So again, if somebody wants to have bikes available, or maybe they think this is a great idea and they want to have bikes near them available, um, they can go and get the contact information at the dealership and send it to you and, and you'll try and uh, hook them up. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. I want bikes to rent in the Black Hills, so I am going to hook mm. you up with some dealerships. Perfect. I love hearing that. Thank you so much, Liza. Yeah, well, I'm doing it for me, but you're welcome. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know, know, something I'll mention while we're hanging out, I just logged on because I've never registered for Twisted Road. So yeah. Twisted Road, I did it literally in like 30 seconds, I think it took. Yeah, to, to register an account. Yeah, register account like that. So did you put did you put uh, misfit in the code so you got the credit for that or did you forget? He forgot. I, I heard you talking about it, but I'm not renting a bike yet, so I didn't think I had needed okay. to put it in. Okay, got it, got it. All right, I, as long as I can put my jacket at your booth the next time we're to show. I know, I know. We keep coming back to that, but Austin, I know. you were like like our version of home. Whenever we'd go to an event. <laughs> We'd look for Austin and, and know yeah, that like we had, we had a home, a place to leave right. our stuff, but also yeah. to come back and meet and rally at. Yeah, can of course. We, can, can we make a date, Austin, all of us and you, Ooh. at the one show in 2022? Uh, well, let's say this. If I have a booth, then yes. Okay. Um, we're trying to figure out whether we're going to keep having booths or not, and if so, how we're going to do it. Well, if if I'm up and running as um, successfully as I hope to be, yep. perhaps we can talk about sharing. Love that idea. Love that. There idea. you go. Uh, yeah, well, uh, when, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to say when we hang up, I am going to uh, look at the Cleveland Moto thing and already get my reservations in order for uh, oh, Vintage, AMA Vintage Days, days yeah. 2022. <laughs> Trust me, it will not see any dirt. Trust me. Uh, (laughs) Trust me, you may want to, in the Cleveland area, during the week of of, uh, July, every summer, may want to let people put their their dirt bikes, their pit bikes, their scooters, their 
piece of shit little trashy bikes you it is in your best interest let them list it because they will all be rented yeah yeah i got it you have an ama subset where you just rent at ama vintage days and it's just like a barter seat you could trade a chicken to use a scooter for (laughs) who knows what yeah 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 even better get like a cargo container and have it there for pickups so you can like have everyone drop off their bikes at the cargo container and then and, and let everyone pick up their bikes and drop them back off there, kind of like a library book or something. Yeah, you know? that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Our limitation on some of those things, like riding in the dirt, is is about insurance yeah. more than anything. Yeah. It's more than anything. It's Liability about. makes sense. So I have one more um, question, and this is a responsible question. In the time of COVID, have you changed any of your practices and interactions to make them safer? Uh, no, we have not. Oh, um, I don't know if that's the wrong answer, but here's what I'll say mm-hmm. that I've rented a bike twice since co- in COVID, uh, mm-hmm. since co- since March. Um, both times the person came out with a mask on. Um, I had, you know, a mask on as well and gloves and it was just, I don't know, it was a very clean transaction. So I, I, um, We've been asked, like, what do we do about helmets? Do we enforce helmet laws? Do we do we um, require riders to have helmets? And and the answer is similar to COVID, which is whatever the requirement is in the state where the helmets are, the riders just requirement to, required to follow that that law. I mean, if if Illinois, you don't need a helmet. I'm not going to require people to use helmets in Illinois. Uh, COVID's a really sensitive issue and, the, and and some people take it much more seriously than others. So we just try to be flexible. We trust our community to do what's right for them. All right. I mean, it is, it is a pretty easy uh, transaction. It's just exchanging, like getting a picture of the driver's license and, and the odometer and yeah, it's pretty easy. There's like no contact in, yeah. in, in the exchange to begin with. And we, we, um, you know, people want to get out. They want to get on a bike. They want a social distance. It's like the greatest thing to do. See, a lot of people who haven't had a bike that's, that had a bike years ago and don't need more getting on now. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. We were talking earlier about, you know, worried about putting your bike on there. So unless, you know, and I'm looking at the site right now in San Francisco. So unless your bike is nicer than a 2018 uh, BMW S1000RR or a 17 Ducati 959 Pinagalli, or a 2017 really? uh, Aprilia, yeah, V4 1100RR. Um, but if you want to be the coolest kid in town when you come to visit San Francisco, Super bike there's party. a two, 2017 Ducati Scrambler. Looks like a custom cafe racer Ooh. that is wicked for 120 bucks a day. I want to just go to San Francisco and run it and be a cool kid. But yeah, I mean, the, the quality of bikes on this site are amazing. Thanks. Thanks. But, you know what? Yeah. It, it does wow. bring up uh, something for me. Um, uh, I remember because my renting out my Versus and my KLR up there and the Versus was really just used for rental or for loaning to people. But there is a responsibility of somebody who's going to list your bike. Cause I remember I was like, Oh, I got a rental. I better go out and check. And like the tire pressure was low and the right. chain was right. slack right. and like all right. these things from the bike just sitting. I'm like, ah, right. crap. Ah, right. I got to <laughs> I got to check the maintenance. And I know I've heard stories of people before who went to get a bike and it had not been properly maintained. So that is something, just a reminder to anyone, if you are going to list a bike, you do have to be responsible and to check the maintenance on it. And, and don't, and don't yeah. think that it's going to be, that you'll have time. 
right. you know, don't think you'll yeah. have time. We, we have people who put a bike on today and they have a rental tomorrow. So don't think there's going to be time to go get the bike registered, put a pl- plates on it, fill the tires. You may not have time. Yeah, it's in your best interest to make sure your bike is as safe as possible. Right. It doesn't happen often. It's really rare mm-hmm. that somebody gets to a bike and it's and it's not road ready. It's very it's rare. So you that might was, just that was the, Yeah, that was the best thing for Liza. I had never seen the versus so well maintained when she and when she threw uh-huh. that up on the road. She was putting new chain and sprockets uh-huh. on it and all great. sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That is exactly the kind of shit that I would pull. You know, I'd list a bike on <laughs> Twisted Road and somebody would come over to rent it. And, oh, shit. It's in bits in the corner of the garage. Give me an hour and I'll put it <laughs> right. together. Right. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So I also just found a 1975 Harley shovelhead chopper. Ooh. Yeah. So it runs the gamut. So if you want to make sure you want to be a chopper, dude, that's a pretty good way to dip your toe in without banging yeah. your head on the wall. If you want like to impress it. the ladies. <laughs> yeah. There's a, I want to find, I'm going to hang out for a little while as you guys keep talking. Cause there's a, there's a bike or two I want to show you. All right. Or at least share the link with you guys. While you're doing that, I will yeah. share some news that I am excited about. Actually, I'm really excited about you guys, you you know what our most uh, buttworthy bike is, right? Uh, Come on, Britain, the Britain, the Britain. That's right, yes, the Britain, right? That's yours. And guess what? I am going to own soon a Britain. Yes, you know how? What? You know how? A little toy, you mean? What, what yes! scale is it? What scale is it? <laughs> one twelfth or yes, one twelfth. So here's the thing. Um, uh, years ago they came out with a, I think it's a one twelfth scale uh, model, which sold out. They sold for like three hundred dollars, um, and then like years later they were going for like a thousand dollars on eBay. Wow. So um, the Britons have announced they're coming out with a new model. Um, yeah, exactly, right? With new casting that's it's and it's like die-cast metal and, and all the bits and pieces. And they're going to have both versions. They're going to have the, the, the pink and blue bike that we know, but also the black and yellow, uh, the, the factory racing bike. Um, they haven't set a price yet, but it's, again, I think, going to be, a, again, another limited edition run. I don't care how much it is. I'm buying them. I'm buying them. And here's the thing that's got me really worked up. So you guys know the original bike. There were 10 of them, and they're numbered 1 through 10. They're coming out with 10 limited edition models for each number. Oh, yeah. I want to get what? one of those. I want to get one of those. Oh, oh I don't know how God. much it's going to be. I know I'm spending stupid money. I'm just saying. Yeah, I know so I'm spending money. stupid money. So you're saying there's 10 numbered editions in, in, in addition to like, ten. The- 10 limited edition, each one with the numbered one through 10. I guarantee you they're sold already, Liza. Yeah, Liza, come with a spoon or a plate. I don't know, man. So they're only 10 10 of this model? Huh? Yeah, no, there's going to be 10 of of the special edition. Okay, so there's a special edition and there's a regular edition. Yeah, yeah. The regular edition, they're all going to be the same and they're going to come, I think, with the decals for pink or black or something. Okay, I got it. They're going to do 10 limited edition signed so paperwork. How many wow. of the original Britons are left? Uh, isn't it all 10? Yep. Yeah, it's all 10. 
They're all accounted for. I guarantee you, I (laughs) guarantee you, the people who own each of those Britons have already put an order in for the corresponding model for their bike. You don't stand a chance. One guy owns three. One guy owns three. He's going to own (laughs) three matching die-cast ones. Trust me on this. Emma, you stop crushing these dreams. You stop that right now. There might be one person who doesn't get the memo, and you might jump in in that spot. You never know. Telling you. Anyway, I am stoked. I am going to have... I'm going to maybe multiples. <laughs> Just say. Oh my god. <laughs> maybe I'm multiples. Get a box of them. Wow. I know. But I know you, Liza. That is no idle threat. When no. it comes to you and should. models. Do you remember how many Evil Can Evil wind up toys I bought? Right. <laughs> we, we definitely caught a few of them on a fire. <laughs> and we gave a lot. If you remember rightly, we gave a lot of them away. You're not going to be giving away these Britons. Really? I might. It depends on the price. Mm. Well, I might Patreon. Uh, I might. Wow, that bag. Man. Yes. If you want to do a Patreon subscriber yeah. to fifteen hundred dollars a month plus, <laughs> we will give you a diecast Britain limited edition. <laughs> you know what's insane about that? How much do you have access to Emma for a month? Was it like five or ten bucks? Yeah, yeah, ten dollars. Oh my God, that should be fifteen hundred dollars a month. I swear. Well, you say the kindest thing. You know, I mean, it's. I want to make it clear that in that role, yeah, there I am. <laughs> um, in that role, I try and be more of a of a cheerleader as much as giving advice, because I get a lot of people, th- you know, writing in and saying, you know, I simply can't do this. I say, oh yes, you can, and just being there, and sometimes it's enough. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Well, and continuing in the Britain news, there was another really cool thing I discovered, and this is motorcycle adjacent. Emma, I sent you the link. I'm going to guess you didn't click it and see it. Probably. Probably. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but if you love the Britain story for John Britton in New Zealand, who designed these Britain bikes, um, there's a TV show called Grand Designs. It's an architectural show where it shows... Um, houses being built and all the obstacles people deal with and trying to stay on budget and these beautiful Grand Design ones. Well, uh, new, the New Zealand Grand Designs show did an episode on John Britton's house. And here's what's amazing. He built this house and it used to be like a, a couple of barns that were uh, converted and it has a, um, what do you call a glass room like for with flowers and shit? What's that called atrium? again? Conservatory. An atrium. The conservatory. He, so the bridge between these is like a conservatory um, that has a pool in it. And uh, he's been, he's been gone a long time and his, his, his wife uh, still lives there and it's kind of fallen into disrepair. So his uh, daughter and son-in-law, came in as partners on the property with all these new design ideas and we're doing a completely huge refab. But one of the things they wanted to do was retain all these things that John Britton designed. And it was amazing. Like the, the banister in the, in the conservatory, which is curved and handles for doors and for faucets. These are things that he designed and cast. And what's amazing is there's a, 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 in one of the, 
the the rooms there's a Brit one of the Britain motorcycles is in the room and you look at that and you look at like the exhaust pipes and all those curves and then you turn and you look at the stairwell and it has the same like kind of curves and shapes Ooh. and design in it and I found it to just be an absolutely fascinating uh, episode but here's the best part Emma and this is why I sent it to you. It also has a detached uh, like a garage that got turned into a living quarters that is serving as a rental unit, like an Airbnb, that you can come and stay on John Britton's property. You can go into the conservatory in the swimming pool, and then they, one of the wings in the house, they have like a gathering room with the motorcycle and a fireplace and couches and a pool table that you can you use in his house. I'm like, ah, I have to go to New Zealand now. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Like if you needed ah! another reason to go to New Zealand, right? Go to New Zealand, <laughs> stay in John Britton's home. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Right. If we could go to New Zealand. Oh, I know. <laughs> and rent dirt bikes. Oh. Hey, Eliza, can you, can you let me share my screen? It says you've disabled that. Uh, I can. It's not going to do that much for the podcast. Let me see. No, but um, probably burn down the garage. How do I do that? <laughs> Let's see more. Oh, uh, make host, make co-host. Oh my God. I'm Googling it right now. This uh, is the Britain, the Britain stables. Yeah. Yes. This is ridiculous. Uh, oh, I don't know if that yes. fixed it, Austin. All right. Let me check. Emma, we're going. Okay, I'm up. Bring your, bath- bring your bathing suit. No, that's right. I'm going to send you an email, Liza. Uh, wait. Oh, wait. There you go. Try that. I think okay. I fixed it. Um. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, the Britons. Okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. All the oh, Britons stuff. The house is beautiful. In yes, I know. Ooh. So he's showing us. Uh. Oh. Wait. Oh. These Ooh. are in. Uh, these are down in. Um, what? A D- Wait, I've never hey, even heard of a DT one twenty five R. That was only made in Japan in two for two years, uh, nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety one. Yamaha DT one twenty five R. It looks like a trellis frame. Well, you Ducati, imagine but, like, putting a skinny bike. person on that at Laguna Seca. Wow! Wow! wow. Put Charlie on that in Laguna. Cool. That's fantastic! Oh, wow! Look, look at that, that dual exhaust! That- wow! Okay, we're okay. We're now looking business. at bike porn. I'm just gonna say this is bike porn. <laughs> Listen to us, look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. up on Twisted Road Yamaha DT125, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's in Santa old, Monica. That's yeah, under- the old K1. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That those things, those things are right amazing there. because they've it's got these Monica, tiny, wow. tiny little trunks either side of oh, the yeah. seat at the back. And they're tiny. You can put one glove in each. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, I have to say I've done that. And especially, you know, we used to go to Craigslist and just kind of, we called it porn. Yeah. And look, at, and there's so many people aren't listing bikes oh, there, but you can go to Twisted Road and look at the porn there, which is really nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, these That's are nice. beautiful bikes. These are, in, the- yeah, these are in Santa Monica. There's yeah. a, there's a. A shop there called Iconic Motorbikes. Yeah. Oh, we oh know yeah, we know that. You know Abby? You know Abby, of course. Yeah. So these are all Abby's. Uh, ah, nice. Oh, that's In fact, yeah. Abby, um, or it might have been his partner, was yeah. um, doing a video recently. They managed to get a hold of an NR750 Honda, which is my up-the-butt bike. 
Ooh. Uh, and the NRs, they were $40,000 30 years ago. Wow. Um, and, um, yeah, and he's riding around on one. I'm jealous. Oh, look, oh, look. You've got enough room to put a small brat verse in that tail carry, but only a small one. Under the seat storage. <laughs> Under yeah. the seat brat storage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's showing all the labels on it. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, and that, I know this and is perfect because he collects and sells bikes. Right. Yep. And makes perfect sense now because he's got these very uh, collectible bikes. But some of them are like, he'll have like a first year R1, something that isn't like, you know, a million dollar right. bike. But there are a lot of people who may want it. And it makes perfect sense. I'm so glad that you uh, hooked right. up. With yeah, him. I met Avi years ago. And, um, and somehow, you know, I, I met him like maybe a month after I met you guys. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was that long ago, and then we just reconnected. He goes, "Hey, what can I do here? You guys cover this in insurance." I'm like, "We do. Bring them on, list them." Nice. A lot of the bikes he's got are on consignment, so he's not ready to list. Um, you know, he can't do that yet without the owner's approval. But um, hopefully, we'll be able to grow that more. Well, Austin, I want I want to thank you for coming on and catching us up. It's always exciting and. Really, you know, congratulations to you for persevering oh, and sticking with it. This is great. Here what comes Jim. What oh, do you look Jim, at, Jim? What do you find? He found his is own bike the, porn. Is that the bike that's, in San Francisco that you like? Yeah, that that's the Ducati uh, Scrambler kind of cafe racer out. Not exactly oh, nice. my thing, but how cool is that? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Anyway, yeah, digging it. Yeah, I, oh, cool. I'm so glad that you are providing this resource for us because, again, I want to go rent bikes when I go places. I don't want to rent a car. I want to rent a bike. Right. And right. you're creating that solution. You know, and I will acknowledge there are bike rental places out there. Yep. Yeah. We know you got Eagle Rider. You got a lot of different places. Yep. But the issue I've had with them is <clears throat> um, it's usually like about $200 a day for a yep. new, well-maintained Harley or BMW. That's pretty much the standard, um, which is a lot of money. But what I like about this is people can set their prices. Yep. I have my KLR up for $75 a day. Right. So you can have uh, uh, affordable alternatives, you know? Yeah. And if someone uses the discount, you know, now they're getting it for 150 for three days, you know, yeah. the misfit referral. So. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you're still with us. And um, thanks. Of course. Yeah. Thank thanks. you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Oh, it's always, Austin, yeah. it's always such a pleasure. Thanks, Emma. It's good um, seeing everyone. Yeah, and we're all still here. You know, it's it. We lead to to a certain extent such a social life. Yeah, and it seems that we only ever meet in the flesh at these large gatherings. And yeah, you know, yeah. we're all kind of missing it. So yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm, me too. I'm counting me too. the days till it all starts up again. Um, but I seriously, I will check in with you because doing doing the shows and having a presence at shows is really going to be an integral part going forward of who I am. Yeah. And if if I could share the cost of a booth, yeah, we'll split with a you, booth. That's I easy. I think we'll split a booth. It'd be the easiest thing in the world, and that'd be a great in, in incentive for you to come out and actually, you know. Yeah, because and send me whatever info you want on your shop. We could we could talk about how I can help promote it. Austin at TwistedRoad dot com. You can send me. Yeah. Oh can... no, I'll find you. Okay. Okay. And, I'm uh, easy. And also, I just want to give another shout out again to Phil at Cleveland Moto for signing up with yeah. you. Here's the thing, and you you probably know this, Austin, but I'll say 
Bill is a smart man and he is an honest man. And any yep. feedback he gives yep. you is going yeah. to be valuable. And well, well, Phil, Phil reached out to me like two years ago. We weren't ready. Mm-hmm. And he said, so are you, so his email said something like, so are you, are you, are you not interested in having dealer bikes on your site? It was something like that. Cause we weren't responsive and we didn't answer some of those questions. And I remember saying, we're, we're not ready. You know, we're just not ready. We don't want to, we don't want to mislead you. We don't want to put you in an awkward situation. We're not ready. Well, we're ready now. And yeah. we had a great conversation. I think in 15 minutes, you know, we were through the whole discussion. He's like, I get it. This is great. So, you know, if I put 10 dealers in a room for a whole weekend, we couldn't come up with all the, all the things you guys did. So, <laughs> um, yeah. it will be live soon. We're working on it in the background here. I think by early February, he'll be live. Great. Yeah. Right. Phil is definitely a, a lot of fun and also a really forward thinking dude. Oh, yeah. it's great. I mean, Phil's, Phil's dynamite. Yeah. He really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Great well, guy. cool. Well, we oh. are. We're going to start talking about a scooter. So I know you don't want to oh, be around oh. for that. Yeah, I got to go. Phil, I got to some scooters. Dinner's <laughs> ready. I know. All right, nice, nice meeting you, Rick right. Bagel. Congrats on your new love life interest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Austin. Good sure. seeing you. I'll see everyone later. All right, yeah, see you, Austin. Bye. <laughs> Ciao, Austin. <laughs> so you guys might remember that I threw out a kind of a challenge to us uh, last week. You did. Um, when we talked about the, the Harley topper. So I thought it would be a great I, opportunity. I misheard you. Um, I misheard you, Liza. That's my only, I thought you said the Harley plopper. <laughs> what did you find on the plopper, Miss Emma? I thought you said Mr. Hopper well, from Three's Company. Well, it is kind of shaped like an outhouse. <laughs> it's all what you do with it. So I thought you we could definitely dig a dump in it. <laughs> I thought we'd do it this way. I thought... Let's um let Emma do a little history hole on the Harley Topper, and hopefully each of us has something that we can add. Maybe um you know if you guys have a little tidbit or something. I have a little trivia to throw into the mix, so we'll uh let Emma go rant on and on and on as she does. And if you oh, have something to add, hell. just jump right in. Okay, well you know um the best place to start when you're talking about a lightweight american bike that really was a product of the 60s is that better yes um the best part to the best place to start is italy in 1946 and italy after the second world war was basically a country ruined and if you want to get your country prosperous and moving after a great cataclysmic event, in effect, the Second World War, the best thing you can do is get your country mobile. And if you people can move around and go from town to town and go to their jobs and actually kind of communicate one another, it's the it's one of the fundamental stepping stones of a prosperous society. And They realize this very, very early on in Italy, and there's this great push to make very, very low-cost transportation that was comfortable, weather-protective, and basically unisex. And there were some great cars that came out at that time, but there was also the scooter. And it was... It was really credited with Vespa who started it off, but there were other manufacturers too. But the beauty of these things is they were cheap. They were reliable. 
and men and women could ride them. Now, here we are in 2020. And if you look at who's doing this podcast now, you know, it's a good selection of men and women. If we went back to the late 1940s, it, for a start, there wouldn't be this mix. There was very, very much a difference between the gender, how they behaved and how they actually dressed. And the beauty of the scooter was a woman who in the 1940s was probably going to be wearing a pencil skirt and heels could ride it as adeptly as a man in pants. So that was the beauty of the design. And throughout the 1950s, you know, you'd go to Italy and there would be tons of these things buzzing around. Now, when we get towards the middle and the late 50s, people from overseas, people from America, people from England, they started traveling doing more worldwide traveling and inevitably you go to a foreign country and you say, hey these things are great let's start riding these things back home and so throughout the 1950s scooters that really started off as a product for italian people became popular really all, all over the world with a certain type of person bagel um, yes <laughs> In the late 50s, a lot of the domestic manufacturers wanted a piece of that pie. Now, Triumph, even Triumph, did a very, very small scooter called the Tina and a larger mm -hmm. one called the Tigris. Yep. And the BSA, the, the, I think the BSA was called the Sunbeam, which was the same mm -hmm. thing. So motorcycle manufacturers realized there was value in scooter design now america already had a very very sort of rudimentary scooter the cushman but i mean it was really a very rudimentary thing and you know i harley davidson thought they could do better and so they came up with a standalone design that was very and I say it was very loosely based on the Zundap Bella. So what we had, it was a scooter in very much the traditional scooter design. You had um, a split front fork with enclosed bodywork, little 12-inch wheels, 5-inch drum brakes. It was a 160cc two-stroke engine where it differed from the European ones, it was an automatic transmission bike with a constantly variable transmission. Whereas in 1959, Vespers, Lambrettas were still manual transmission with a clutch. I have a question. Um, yes. How does a two-stroke work with a CVT? Oh, it works very well. Yeah. Just my no, experience with a two-stroke that you need to kind of ring it a bit, but that would make it kind of lurk. Yeah, but on a CVT. no, all you do. The, the only difference with the CVT, so let me explain how CVTs work, because a lot of people don't understand how they work. Generally, it's a belt drive, mm -hmm. and you'll have a pulley at the front 
which is capable via rollers of expanding the distance between the Vs and contracting it. Now, obviously, if the pulleys are closer together, the belt is riding at a greater distance on the mm -hmm. pulley. So and the further apart they are, the belt is closer into the pulley. So you basically start off with the belt very, very close into the pulley. And as you rev it, bob weights basically come out of slots and push the pulley wheels closer together, pushing the belt out to a larger diameter. So basically, you're getting a very, very smooth like that. Now, as you're well aware, two strokes, they tend to have a little more power at the top. Mm -hmm. So it's just a characteristic of how the ramps and the pulleys and the springs are made that it gives you drive at a slightly higher RPM mm -hmm. than an equivalent four-stroke. Yeah. Yeah, it's it a very, very easy thing to do. It just has to be tuned for the engine. Yeah, okay. exactly. And they're infinitely tunable. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So um, it really, so the topper wasn't available for, to the public really until 1960, but it started production in 1959 and they did a couple of things to it in 1959. They did this epic ride from Bakersfield to Death Valley and back. Um, or was it Palm? Hang on, let's have a look. It was either Death Valley or Palm Springs. No, it was Death Valley. But they went over, I think, 7,000 feet on the way and back down with zero maintenance to show how reliable this thing would be. In reality, that was a very, very carefully built bike, especially for that trip. Public got a very, very different machine. Um, and, <laughs> and the Milwaukee, and one of the earliest customers were the Milwaukee Brewers, who actually used hmm. one as like a pit bike. Um, and again, for promotion purposes. But basically, 1960, it was introduced. I mean, it was sort of successful. I mean, I, I'd love to be able to get into a time machine, go back to 1960. And look around and look at these 20-foot-long Oldsmobiles and Cadillacs and even compact cars back then were like 15 feet long and see what kind of sales pitch it would be to sell this tiny scooter in this land that's inhabited by behemoths. I should imagine it'd be a pretty hard sell. Um, those people that did buy the scooter really complained a lot of problems with the drive so it was actually changed the drive was changed in 61 to make it a lot more reliable in in the weather um final drive was always by chain and it, again there's this thing that out of sight is out of mind and i think putting a chain final drive on a scooter it's it would be a very very easy thing to neglect and especially if you're selling a vehicle to somebody who is not necessarily going to be focusing on maintenance and just focusing on something they can jump on and swing their leg over. So, um, you know, a couple of odd little design choices, but there we are. Um, apparently, it had nine horsepower, and that sounds generous to me. 
I mean, it was a 160cc two-stroke. Nine horsepower is quite a lot if that was accurate. I suspect it was probably closer to six or seven. Um, they did two versions. In 1961, they did, um, was it a C or an H? I think it was an H version, mm -hmm. which in Harley speak is hot. A-H, yeah. Yeah. Um, H stands for hot, <laughs> very famously used on the sports, which was the CH, competition hot. And that, I believe, how much do they get out of it? Didn't actually quote a brake horsepower for that, but it had a new alloy cylinder head and a, you know, mm. a, a revised ports and compression ratio. It went up to eight to one. God, heady stuff. I um, I would like to to break in for my addition to this story, which is some trivia. Yes, go on. The 1991 Charlie Sheen movie Hot Shots yes. featured a character whose name was Topper Harley. Right. <laughs> That's it. That's all I get. Yep. <laughs> That's no. a good one, though. I, I remember that one. Right. But he was named after the Harley Topper. I do remember that. <laughs> that was a freaking hilarious film. It was. There may or may not yeah. be a band called Topper Harley. <laughs> well, you'll accidentally find on YouTube playing some I love it. punk rock. Um, <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> I would like to also... Hang add, on, I'm not done yet. I, I, I'm putting my two cents in. We all get to add to this. Well, all right. So this is not uh, trivia. This is just my opinion that the... Uh, Harley Topper with a sidecar uh, most closely resembles a carnival ride. <laughs> yes. Where do you put the quarter in it to sit on top while it Does bounces? that not look like a carnival ride? <laughs> right, so here, here's yeah, why I... The color is as big as a bike. I think they I, had I think things it, outside of Alpha Beta when I was a child. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a darling of the Milwaukee Manufacturing Group. Uh, because you had the optional sidecar or utility case, mm -hmm. which could easily carry a full keg of beer oh, back yeah. to the assembly line after lunch. Okay. So yeah, I think it was a pit bike. <laughs> it was a pit bike designed for factory workers. All right, Emma, well, continue. Um, the second one was actually a detuned version down to five horsepower. And the idea behind this: why would you detune a bike? Well, apparently there was a law back then that if you produced a motorcycle under a certain amount, and famously the whizzers were this way, yep. you didn't need a license to ride it. So I suspect in 62 when they, when they brought it out, you know, sales were pretty dismal and they thought, well, you know, there's a thousand newspaper boys riding around on whizzers. Let's get some of that action. Um, Nevertheless, I mean, it's soldiered on through 1965. I think the most glaring fault, though, and um, forgive me, Bagel, and it, please, it, I mean, it, it's no reflection on you, but my <laughs> suspicion, this bike was almost certainly marketed towards women. And well, I Actually, the, the the what I had seen is that the marketing they marketed it more as a a kid's bike. Than well, anything. and perhaps that came through in later years, but I okay. think the original concept hmm. was a run around for a woman, okay. and the most glaring problem with the bike 
is the way you started it. The pull start. Because it had a rope starter like a frigging lawnmower. Yeah. And I know for a fact that a 160cc engine on a rope starter, you'd need arms like Schwarzenegger to start that. And the thought of a nicely dressed suburban housewife wearing 1960s fashions, honking on a pull starter, trying to start this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a, right on, arm a, of Conan. on a pesky well, two-stroke that may not be yeah. pro- properly uh, maintained. Yeah. Well, and you, yeah, and you had a lot of real, you had a competitive import market, right, during that time, you know? Right, Mid-60s. exactly. I mean, and so look you, at what they're competing with. Right, and the thing is, if, if you look at a Vespa or a Lambretta from the same time, both of those had very, very long kickstarts that were geared for men and women to use. They're the easiest things in the world to, to kickstart. You know, yep. you basically you step on the kickstart and the bloody thing starts yep. because it was designed that way. Um, so, I mean, it was a flawed design. Looking back on it now, I think it's a very, very interesting design concept. And it was very much of the time. Um, it's almost reminding me of lawn equipment. It's, almost you know, like a it's got... <laughs> It's but, got that. It's got a kind of golf cart look about it. The very much, you're looking between your legs at a choke lever down there, you know, yeah. and a pull cable, and you know, and it, it yeah. made sense to me. I was like, "This is familiar." You it know? is lawnmower like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, well, you know, Emma touched on it. You know, it's very much like a Cushman. You know, I've worked with a lot of you know kind of farm equipment over the years, mm-hmm. and the cheap farm equipment is kind of Cushman oriented and weird pulley systems and. and um, so domestic scooter stuff, right? Wasn't Cushman one of the the players? Oh yeah, yeah Cushman exactly. was one of the players. Yeah, um, predated the Harley. Uh, they were they were around in the 30s, I think. Okay, right. Yeah. So when did what about? I've heard another company. Someone help me here. Powell Powell yeah, scooters. Powell Salisbury were also American scooter manufacturers that started in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Um, so they, it was no new idea some... over here, but it got a lot better. It sounds like. I'm pretty right, sure. And actually, those. I was, I was going to say, sorry, Bagel, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Salisbury contained all the patents for the variable drive. They were the first. Okay. Very odd-looking thing, a Salisbury scooter. Yeah, very cool. And It's and some cool, of, but odd. Yeah, and some of those early uh, American scooters actually were served as inspiration for the, uh, the Italian scooters that came out in the 40s after World War II. But, of course, they... They improved the the aesthetics and the design. So I have something to share. And I'm done. You're done? done Yeah, I'm done. So um, I have something to share. This is something that Jim and I have seen in person. We mentioned it last week that we saw it in the vault at the Peterson Museum. But I found a screenshot. So, and Rick, maybe you don't know this exists. This is a prototype that never went into production. 1949. Indian motorcycle scooter. Oh, wow. Cool. Yes. Now, wait a minute. Wow. Let's get a bagel way in as a scooter dude. Does this <laughs> look familiar? Are we seeing any recycling or like design? It looks like a Honda Ruckus. <laughs> well, it, it looks very, it, it looks very much like a vintage Cushman. Um, maybe, maybe a little, yeah, a little bit more basic. Okay. But but just the idea of an mm. Indian scooter just seems really cool to me. <laughs> if you look at what Indian was doing back then, it was a and, bunch of middle figures to everybody. You know, well, we can play yeah. 
So why not do this? Yeah, was, what, what I love about it. The, uh, Look, There's sorry. a headdress on the Fender. Yes. Oh, it's wow. called the Style Master. Is actually the model, <laughs> the Indian Style Master. Wow. As it yeah. should be. Are you looking at that Fender, Jim? You need one of those on the bike you're building. Oh, dude, you should know, see the rear right? Fender. Look at the. I don't know if you look at. You can't see, but yeah. the rear Fender and the tail light from the back. You want to have sex styled. With. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was, no, it's anyway, so sleek. It's very much of the time period. It was beautiful. Very rare, but it's interesting that this was 1949. That an Indian almost got into the game way before Harley. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other, someone too alluded to golf carts and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Harley may have been dabbling into golf carts and things during that period too. I think they were really diverse there was, in the mid sixties. Uh, one of my best friends in the whole world uh, per, met his wife on a broken down Harley Davidson golf cart at a dealership. They worked at. <laughs> oh, was it, a, was it a boy or a girl? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to add something else. Um, the value. Anyone want to try and take a shot at what the value is mm-hmm. of a Harley Topper scooter? You think it's pretty rare, right? I mean, Bagel, as scooters go, is this one of the rarer ones? It's pretty rare. I mean, they only made them for five years. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them survived because, you know, they, they were not particularly reliable and they just kind of got tossed. Um, you know, there are a few of them that are still around. I've never really shopped for them, so I'm not sure what the value of them is. But I, I would you. wager they're if if they're in good running condition, <clears throat> they're probably worth between three and five thousand dollars. I would think. Yeah, actually, what I was finding online is four to eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand being like okay. pristine, like museum well, yeah, quality. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> four thousand for something like good running, good you know, not yeah, maybe dings and dents, but but a good running. Um, specimen so yeah it's very collectible but not completely out there i mean this is an affordable harley still yeah yeah it's it's not a high value bike the value i can see with it if you want to kind of buy your way into that kind of you know, I almost want to say it's cosplaying, you know, that sort of 60s Mad Men thing. And for the guys, if you want to wear a shark skin suit or the girls, you know, you want to have your hair done in a bob and a crimpling dress. It's a good, cheap way to kind of buy into that era. Because if you want a 60, 61, 62 car these days, you better start laying out 25 to 30 grand for nice ones. Yeah. So it's it's a nice way to buy your wet self into a period of American history that I find very, very interesting. I think the period from 1959 to 1963, very, very interesting period of American history. Well, Bagel, I have a question for you. If you were to get a Harley Topper, I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. would you get a a do-rag to match the same color as your scooter scooter? Ah! You well, actually, I, I I would, because if I got a Harley Topper, I would paint it orange and black, Attaboy. and and put all the the skulls yes. and the flames and the fringes and all the sparkles on it, and I would take it out to Sturgis and ride it all around Sturgis for the whole week. <laughs> I just go neener neener neener. I got a Harley, man. <laughs> get a real bike on the horns on the front. <laughs> yes, you would get so yeah. yeah. You'd be so you know what you That'd would get. Hilarious. You know you would get. What's you that? would get a lady in a bikini riding on the back. 
Yes, you would. You yeah, better you be would. careful, Aiden. Probably. Yeah, you would. The responsibility yeah. riding a top. Good thing you have a uh-huh. yeah. Good thing you have a girlfriend now. <laughs> Indeed. So, um, a couple of a couple of facts yeah. that I wanted to mention that's, about that's the Harley that didn't get uh, brought up yet. Um, one point that I wanted to mention is the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Harley engine uh, got its two struck two struck technology as as war reparations from World War II. Um, it came from the German company DKW, oh. and Harley adapted that for its engine for the Topper, uh, which is why it was a two stroke. Um, and also, Emma, you mentioned the the detuned model. That was the AU, and and I, I'm not sure what the U stood for, but I have a feeling it stood for underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> because with five with five horsepower, you weren't going to go that fast. <laughs> right. I always, as soon as I saw it was the U. Yeah. Do you remember um, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Who was the moose? That was uh, uh, Bullwinkle. 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 Yeah. Do you remember his alma mater? Uh, oh, oh yeah, uh, what's the matter? What's the matter? You, what's the matter? You, good lord, woman, and you that's take the me back. first thing I saw when I saw model <laughs> you. Yep, to this day, and, uh, anyone Russian I meet, I say, You you have to say, must get moose and squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have one, I want to read a, a quote from a book. Uh, Scooters, Red Eyes, and White Walls by oh. Colin Shattuck, Ooh. who uh, is uh, who runs the uh, um, scooter shop out in uh, Colorado. Okay, we're doing a deep uh, dive I, now. Yes. Get my pipe. Um, he, to quote the book, he says, looking at a topper, one might have been tempted to store one's cheese inside of it. <laughs> the topper looked like a refrigerator turned onto its side with a foam and vinyl seat, a boxy steel fender, and a bicycle-style handlebar. A rarity among scooters, its 165cc engine started with a rope like a lawnmower, and it had an automatic transmission like a Cushman or Salisbury. It was all American, slathered with lots of shiny paint and targeted towards children. The popularity of scooters was falling like a stone, but the topper hit the streets, and kids might have seemed like the only consumers left buying them. And um, yeah, it was it was kind of unfortunate that the 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 topper that probably took so long to come out with this bike because the 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 whole motor scooter uh, market really started shrinking by the early '60s, and this has a lot to do, Emma, what you were saying with uh, post-war Europe, um, because directly after the war, people the resources were very very meager, and people had to make do with what what was available. So scooters, as a very cheap mode of transportation, were were very appealing. But by the time 1960 came around, when the Topper was released in Europe, uh, scooter markets were already starting to decline. Because people were, you know, they'd, they'd been riding scooters for 15 years. They really wanted to graduate to cars and motorcycles. So those, so the cars and motorcycles really started uh, increasing in popularity dramatically in the early 60s. And scooters started declining. And uh, in the United States, um, you know, scooters, scooters were more, really more of a novelty. So uh, just the timing was, was really not right for Harley to bring out the topper. And sales sales were never very good, um, just because you know, the the appeal for a scooter in the the American market wasn't as strong as it was in Europe, and um, and just the the desire for scooters was was really waning at that time. So it was it was kind of doomed from the start, unfortunately. Um, plus the 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 aesthetics. Yeah, I was gonna say I think design has something to do with it because. That whole design era, the whole mod mods, yes. it was all about design, about clothing, about right. aesthetics. 
and Vespas and Lambrettas and you know other oh, yeah. European scooters had really beautiful, nicely, you know, nice smooth sort of flowing designs. And you look at a Harley Topper, and it looks like people just stuck crap <laughs> on like whatever, wherever. And it's just like, well, obviously, boxy. it was where you store your cheese, right? It's just like this boxy thing, um, and it—I mean, it had shiny paint, and you know, it was kind of you know quirky, but but it just wasn't that appealing, and you know, it was kind of a flop. So, uh, unfortunately, they ended up in production in 1965 after only five years. So, so that was the end of the topper. And um, I wanted to add because Bagel touched on it that the original engine design was part of war reparations. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the only bike oh, no. that was part of war reparations. Yeah. And there was also the, um, the Hummer, the 125 mm. Hummer, which was yeah. based on a German dispatch bike. And it was shared with England. And that became the BSA Bantam. And it was yep. very, very interesting to see that the Hummer stayed as a 125 three-speed bike all its life mm -hmm. because that was true to the original design brief from, I, I believe it was also a DKW. That's Whereas correct. the BSA Bantam formed its own life. And yes, it was 125 for three-speed for a long time. Then it became a 150 then it became a 175, and then it became a four-speed. So, you know, Britain developed that original engine their own way. And if you look at a DKW dispatch bike and a very early BSA Bantam and a Harley-Davidson Hummer 125, it is obviously the same engine. Yeah. So that's, that's what happened there. You know, they divvied up war prizes. Yeah. Cool. You know, one, one thing I'll add, um, even though, you know, we've, we've relegated to history, um, the topper was reborn in 2007. What? Here's your trivia question. What? Yes. Liza, yeah. can you tell me, you should know this one. Oh. In 2007, the topper shape was reborn, yep. but by a Japanese company. Yamaha. Really? So Yamaha 2007, what did they build that looked like the topper? It's that thing. It's out in my driveway right now. It's in your driveway right now. <laughs> oh, the, the Yamaha C3. Looks, the C3 looks way better than a topper, though. No, yeah, no, much not way better. It's a new topper. Not way better. Right? You throw a sidecar on it or an ice cream yeah. little bin. It's an it's igloo, igloo cooler with wheels. Basically, so if yeah. you want to access the topper, you know, right. just go get yourself a fucking Yamaha C350 funny. scooter. That's you're good to go. Funny. Well, there you go. I hope everyone learned a little something um, I don't know if anyone's going to go run out there and go look for a Harley Topper just yet. Harley Davidson Lopper. I would see on the ride on. You know? <laughs> oh. oh, Twisted Road? Twisted yeah, Road right. got one on there? Oh, yeah. Hey, you never know. Oh, I need to check that. Hey, um, when they allow scooters. You guys want to help some people? See more. Oh. Maybe? No. <laughs> Depends. Who's asking? Yes, we do. Well, Fourth um. Uh, I got some emails to read. Bagel, I sent you one if you can get that queued up. Oh, you did. Um, this one is from our friend uh, Yoris. 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 I hope it's yours. It says, hello from the chilly mid-Atlantic where heated socks and grips are coming in handy now. I'm hoping Ooh. that the following topic deserves a dip into your tech tip handbag or maybe into your history hole. 
Oh, Speaking of the that. season, when the weather turned cold last month, I noticed a slow coolant leak from the hose to water pump connection on my 08 Versus. Um, he says, I tightened the hose, camp and all se- hose clamp and all seems fine now. The clamp is a basic worm drive model, but it got me wondering whether that is the best fitting for the job. Does a worm drive clamp um, apply even pressure all around? If not, am oh. I in danger of deforming the aluminum pipes on the pump if I tighten too much? So he says, he, I delved in a bit and found a page on McMaster Car's site that shows all sorts of hose clamps for soft hoses, vibration resistant, etc. I know that I've also seen spring steel band clamps on carburetor hoses. Is there any best practice for what clamp to use on a hose pipe combination that undergoes temperature changes? Kawasaki's parts diagram does show a worm drive clamp, although they charge $15 for it, which seems silly. At any rate, I would appreciate your advice. And if the history of the development of hose clamps is of any interest, that would be good to hear as well. Cheers from yours. Um, okay, Yuris. Um, yes or no. So let's talk about hose clamps because they've been around yeah. forever. Um, the best ones, haha. Uh, English ones, and they were made by a company called Jubilee. Yeah. Um, but I've seen some of those a... displays. If you go to some of like the old automotive stores, yeah, I've seen a Jubilee display. So, um, on an aluminium part, it's not going to be a problem. However, let's talk about modern cars and to a certain extent, modern bikes as well. And there has been this push in the automotive industry over the last 30 years or so to replace stuff that used to be made out of aluminium with plastic. Now, plastic is very much not as forgiving as aluminum. And it's very, very important that when you tighten a clamp on a plastic part, so if you've got a rubber hose going over a plastic spigot, you do an even amount of pressure and the right pressure. It's no coincidence that if you see a vehicle with plastic engine parts, usually they don't even have Jubilee or worm drive clips. They've usually got the clip type that destroy your fingers when you try and the get them off. spring steel? The spring steel. And the reason is the spring steel ones are better at distributing pressure all the way around. But more importantly, it's a very, very you can't over tighten them. But because the, the tightness is is governed by the springiness of the steel. But what I've seen uh, when I was working on the fuel system on the CX five hundred turbo, it had the spring steel ones, and some of them in removing them had kind of stretched a bit, and yeah, I don't they feel can. were as tight. So I got new ones and put them on so that I kept it the same as as opposed to going to the worm drive. But, right, but generally, that is interesting. Yeah, generally, the bigger they are, the better they hold their shape. Mm-hmm. It's very, very unusual, you know, for for the springy ones to be on fuel yeah. lines to be effective. You know, on a one inch or a two inch pipe, it's a lot more effective. But not all hose clamps are created equal, and really, the top of the range ones are actually instead of a flat band 
what's more likely with them is the edge of the band will actually dig into the rubber mm. in very, very extreme cases. And if you look at a very, very high-end hose clamp, it's actually a very, very shallow U. And you'll see that the band part has just got sides that come up just a fraction of a millimeter just to give it a slightly less sharp edge to dig into the rubber. I find that on the boots, car boots, on yeah, all, all my go. vintage bikes. Yeah. Yes. So, so there you go. So, you know, hose clamps, I'll say the same to you as I say to a lot of people. Don't overthink it. If the worst thing you have to do is once in a while just take a screw to the screw clamps on a very, very cold day, because remember, you're talking about heat cycles of engines, you're talking about periods of many, many years. If you've just got to tweak them up, big deal. So I will say that in general, I think that worm drive hose clamps are great because you are going to be able to get it taut. And... Um, with the exception, here's what I've learned. If you're getting um, hose clamps from an automotive store, hardware store, they're usually going to be stainless steel band. Um, but shocker, this will shock you all. If you buy one of those kits from Harbor Freight that comes with an assortment, that is a softer metal, and I have had those fail many yep. times. So there is a difference just in worm drive, just to let you know. Um, a good stainless one is you can crank that thing down so tight, but, um, but some of the cheaper ones, just be careful. They can fail. Yeah. They'll use pop metal on the word worm drives instead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So good. So I hope that answers your question. Um, I think in general, a hose clamp is great if it is the right size. The only other time I've found it to uh, not be uh, perfect is if you're using the wrong size and you're trying to squeeze it down smaller than it's intended and this is why they come in so many different sizes then it may take an oval shape yeah. that that's the difference so good i hope we answered that uh bagel you got one there to read yes i have an email from mike olson mike says hey there misfits moto mike 805 down in the abyss of san luis here oh down there hello moto mike wait you need to I... do a, a san san luis uh, <clears throat> uh accent I don't know how that is. <laughs> it sounds like Pazzo's Saloon. Why yeah. <laughs> do you remember riding down the there? Oh, we almost died. That that San Louis kicked our ass on dirt bikes. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God. No, Jim, don't call it San Louis. It drives the locals bananas. It's San, San Louis. Luis. San Luis. Yep. San Louis in my book. <laughs> Stay <laughs> home, Coop, man. Stay home, Kook. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Mike writes, I was one of the Patreon subscribers who got to hang out on episode 401 with you yeah. all. Yes. I cool. asked about right upgrading on. cams mm -hmm. while I was upgrading the tensioners. Oh, my God. You thought I was trying to buy plutonium or smuggle heroin <laughs> when trying to buy parts and get a, a after the upgrade. I finally found a dealer online who would sell me the cams with a signed affidavit swearing on my firstborn's life that the cams would go in a quote-unquote race bike only. I thought that would be the hardest part, but no, 
Then I tried to find a shop with a dyno that would tune the bike. The closest shop I found was in Fresno Not and had the same deal. Needed to sign an affidavit that it was a quote-unquote race bike and would not be riding on the streets. Also, the bike would have to be trailered into and out of the shop because, you know, it's a quote-unquote race bike. Race bike. Oh, nice. part. <laughs> the nice part was the shop flashes the ECM, so no tuner purchase required. The bad part, one time 200 license fee to unlock the ECM, plus $500 to tune the bike. Up until now, I've always preferred fuel-injected bikes, but now I'm thinking this would have been much easier had my bike been carbureted. <laughs> yeah. Am I a fool for thinking this? Anyways, after much debate, I sent back the cams to the company and they graciously sent me just the fueling cam chain tensioner kit with the hydraulic cams, cam plate, and oil pump, as well as all gaskets, and issued me a full refund on the cam kit. Good on them. So what's your thoughts on EFI versus carbs for performance upgrades? Probably just e probably easier just to buy a sport bike if I wanted to go fast. Thanks for your advice, Misfits. Ride like everyone is a hired assassin trying to kill you. <laughs> and that is advice that I have followed since the beginning of my riding career, Mike, and I, I absolutely support that. Absolutely. Can I start with this? Next time you're going to get some cam work done, go to Nevada. <laughs> Just go east about 70 miles. Go to Nevada. Oh. You nailed it, Jim. Be good. In Tennessee and Texas, all I heard was California, California, California. You know, California, son. Yeah, such a bummer. It is so damn hard to get a part. I mean, I may or may not know someone that used to live in Texas and maybe may or not have fenced a couple of parts. But I mean, <laughs> that sucks that you have to do that. And I'm talking, these were replacement parts, like fixing parts. These weren't go fast bump sticks. And, you know, wow, it, it's pretty hard, man. I feel really bad. I wish I wish I would have known that or said something before he got into that hole downhill. Mm. And I mean, the fact is, we, I mean, I love California. Um, yeah. There's many, many good things to living here. Um, it's fantastic scenery. The riding's brilliant. I personally oh, like the people Nevada. very much. But the downside is it's quite expensive. Mm -hmm. And if you want to tune up stuff, it is quite tough. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I'm curious, though, because I won't mention any names, but we do have friends, you know, hooligan racing comes to mind that run bikes in California that are kind of race ready bikes that they ride on the street. You know, right, so there must yeah. be ways around like carburation well, and exhaust and performance. No, there's always ways around. There are no inspections in California. So there's no inspections. There's no emissions for bikes in California. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm going to throw out a completely different suggestion here. And uh, Mike, I hope I don't piss you off here because I here's the thing. I get the 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 fun, the joy, the the hobby, the sport of making your bike faster than others of the same model. I get it. But let me throw out an alternative option. Learn how to ride your bike faster. Maybe it's you, not the bike. Here's the thing, and we say this all the time. There are advanced riding classes available. <laughs> And I think if like what people are doing, like on the Harleys and doing the, the, the courses, like what Phil was doing, that is so fucking badass. That is better than making it, you know, 15 horsepower more. I think yeah. learning how to ride your bike better is way cooler than enhancing the motor 
and making it louder or faster. I'm just throwing that out there as an alternative. If you want to be better than everyone else, become a better rider. You could think of that as that as a performance upgrade that you would buy for all of your bikes. Even Yeah, I'm just throwing that out as an alternative because everyone's like, they put their attention and their focus into like, I want to tune it up and I want to do this. I want to do horsepower. Sometimes it's about the controller. Right, yeah. One of the things he said, did he say the EFI versus carb trying to yeah. squeeze power? Well, that was kind of one of the things too. Well, yeah. His question was whether, whether it's worth sticking with fuel injection with uh, yeah. trying to do performance upgrades or if it's better to use, use a, a carb bike for that. Because As like of the platform or whatever. Yeah. Right. To me, you know, it, he nailed it too. He hit the wall, the California problem. Um, having worked in other States with performance shops and our own dyno and watching some like fucking magic happen taking a stock bike and getting it to run like eight degrees cooler. Cause you just made it tuned better. I mean, come on, you know, that that's pretty cool stuff. And uh, yeah. so in the fuel injection aspect of tuning, your options are more open, but just like anything else, I think the more options, the more problems, you know, you're going to, there's going to be subpar tuners. There's going to be bad dyno people. There's going to be. Yeah. Throw you left. You know, even though you have all these great options. Right. But I think his, his concern was more the, the cost because it, it costs 700 bucks just to get the, the ECM upgraded. And he was thinking, you know, 700 bucks, you know, I could have just, you know, probably bought carbs for that, that price, you know, go to Nevada. Go to <laughs> I Nevada. Say, I swear to God, I hate to go say to Nevada and take a writing class. Well, actually, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if that would help because the the $200 was the license to yeah. unlock the ECM, and that's going to be for any state, yeah. I would think. In my experience, True. that goes with his VIN. So hang on to that. If mm-hmm. if he got that far, maybe he didn't. But if he did, they'll give you a thumb drive usually when you do that, at least if you use like a DinoJet product mm-hmm. that I'm familiar with. And that's like your little code. <laughs> so if like you punched out your bike to a little bit bigger of a motor and then you changed your exhaust completely later, you don't got to dip again for the 200. You're good. Like you mm-hmm. can still party. Um, you are going to have to pay that text time to do the thing. So that's right. what's like to me. He had a 200 and then like a $500 ding. Right. You know, in that initial was... tuning session, I've seen dudes knock them out in half an hour and they're, they're great. And I've seen dudes spend two days on them pulling their hair out. You know, yeah. there, there's value in that too. That's some of that dark art, magic motorcycle stuff, but it's just like carburetors too, to put them in comparison. You know, that takes a lot of time. Pull the jet, right. do the run. Mm-hmm. you know, do you have a dyno? Are you able to do it inside? No, you got to go outside, pull the clutch, pull the plug, kill it, pull over. You know, it's it's worth right, right. And you could do that for each jet in the range. And if you're paying somebody to do that, that could easily cost more than five hundred dollars to get that right. Oh, with if 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 I am setting up a sport bike rack of carburetors from scratch. Yeah. Oh yeah. There had better be a thousand bucks on the table because it is going to take me days. Yeah, I, I got it, one argument for the carburetor versus fuel injection choke. Mm. <laughs> That's it right there. To have a bike with no choke is awesome. Oh, there's a lot of oh, fuel okay. injected bikes with chokes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. it's automatic though, right? Well, no, some. Um, and it's not really an enrichment. It's actually an idle up. My Guzzi's got a choke. His Harley's probably got an IAC in it, an idle air control valve, just like a car. Yeah, um, and it, it sits in the throttle body and cracks open a little piston. Come, mine went to shit, and my revs would start soaring to four grand while I was riding, which was really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, they get they're gonna get plugged up with gummy stuff. 
But no, Mike Guzzi's got an idol up. Mm. Um, and most Ducatis do as well with uh, with fuel injection. And it just pushes the butterflies open a little bit on a cold start to get get your idol up. Um, so it's like a manual IAC. I guess, too, you're getting into computer-controlled bikes, right? So at that point, it's going to be what temperature is it at? It's sniffing around. The little computer's doing yeah, stuff. Exactly. How hot are we? You know, How long have we been running? What's our oil temp and pressures? You know, that'll dictate stuff with fuel trims. But with the carburetor, it's right. nice to go like, it's cold as shit. Boop, here we go. And, you know, air-cooled bikes are much harder to fuel inject than water-cooled bikes. Much harder. Simply because the range of temperature between yeah. cold and hot engine is sort of light and day. Oh, yeah. I mean, a liquid-cooled bike, basically, when your engine gets up to temperature – that's it. And it's the coolant and the thermostat's job to maintain it at, say, 210 degrees or whatever it's set. And it's within a 20 or 30 degree range from the coldest to the warmest. Air-cooled bikes go through this massive range. And to get them to actually cleanly burn fuel throughout all these temperature ranges, it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare. Well, our next email kind of covers uh, the same topic a little bit. And this is from our good friend, Patty in New Jersey. Hey, Patty, how are you? And uh, Patty says, I've been so screwed up uh, working the night shift at the hospital. I've been trying to catch up on the podcast. I wish I had caught on when you guys did the Ask Miss Emma podcast, since I have a specific question. So the good news is, Patty recently got his up the butt bike. Woohoo! It's a Super Duke GT. Those are cool bikes, man. Mm -hmm. Um, He says it's an incredible bike, but how much tech is too much? The bike sat for a long time and the exhaust butterfly went and took forever to get to the dealership. The bike goes into a limp mode and I had to get it to the dealer. According to them, even if I do the oil changes myself, they have to check it out and turn off the maintenance check engine light. So oh, where do you guys stand on the right to repair fight? Any history hold about that? Most European manufacturers seem to be going in that direction. I think it sucks. Um, and just as a further update, um, he is that he wrote in at the beginning of COVID and stupidly took Knox advice. <laughs> he, no. went, he went and picked up a bucket list bike, a 2002 RC 51 for way cheap and mostly in boxes. Oh, it's a project bike. He says, I have the final pieces to put it together and we'll be riding it this season. Even got a Nikki Hayden tank for it. So keep it up, ding dongs. And thanks for keeping a night shift pediatric ICU RN sane on his commute. Oh, so. Yeah, big shout out and Nikki Hayden too. Right on. That's a really cool Um, thing to be doing. So shout out to her. What do you guys say? I have some quite strong opinions on this. Right to repair? Yes. Okay. Um, so if you regard the ownership of a motorcycle as a complete experience, and a complete experience is the joy you get from riding it, the joy you get from showing it off to your friends, the joy you get from, you know, just hanging out with it, and the dismay you get when you have to pay the bills. <laughs> You've got to factor all of that in. And, yeah, European manufacturers now are going to 
this service indicator that has to be turned off at the dealership. And I don't like it because it's basically it costs money to get it turned off. Now, the dealership will argue that in order to keep the bike safe, there has to be checks made at service intervals. And it's a way of keeping the badly maintained bikes off the road. But I don't think that's their decision to make. Yeah. It smells like extortion. Am I allowed to say it, that? It, it has got that. It's it's got yeah. that little whiff about it. Yeah. Um, Run. And I've which, always, which you know, again? whenever I uh, back oh, when I was at, KTM uh, uh, right. Super Duke GT. When I when I was back at Monterey Peninsula, you know, I I would turn off a Triumph service light for free. If anybody called up and said, "Hey, man, I've just serviced my bike." And, you know, it's like, well, what did you do? You know, you change mm -hmm. your oil, blah, 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 blah. And it had, it had come in, and I'd just do a cursory check over, just make sure the brake pads are okay and the thing's not falling apart, and do tire pressures, which I always did for free anyway. Yeah. And I'd turn off that the service light as a, as a courtesy to the owner of that. But that's the exception as opposed to the rule. Um. And, and, and the alternative that... was spending two or three hours on a, on a service and charging them, you know, 300, 400 bucks for the service and then turning the light out. Um, now, is that a software setting or is that, does that have to require replacing a sensor? No, it's just software setting. Okay. You actually have to go into the ECU of the bike yeah, and so override the... it. Yeah, so you know what the is. I know right. we call home when we do the Indian services. So you you will tell that then that 5K was now completed at an authorized facility for blah, blah, right. blah. You know. And, you know, the manufacturers now are actually cracking down on it. They've um, got us charging batteries every night on record yes. with VIN so that there can't be a falsified battery claim in the next 12 to 24 months. Ex well, Jeez. and it's not just the falsified battery claim. is manufacturers are oh, getting yes. sick and tired of replacing new batteries, not through false claims, through dealers not maintaining them correctly. Negligence, totally. Negligence, and it's costing them a fortune. And, you know, now, when I first started working on Triumphs, it's basically, you know, you'd fill out the paper, the online um, thing for Triumph saying you'd service the bike. Yeah. Now you have to specifically answer questions. Did you change the oil? Did you change the oil filter? Did you check the brake pads? Yeah. Did you do this? And you have to tick, tick, what tick. What was the resting voltage tick. to the 10th? Yeah, right. exactly. Tick. You tick them all off, and that is a legal document. And if there's any problem with the bike, Triumph will go back and look at that. Who was the last person to service the bike? What did they do to it? And, you know, if that's the direction the that side of the industry is going in, I think you're kind of losing it a little bit.
Yeah, because that sounds like lawyers dictating how things work. Yeah, but they are now, and that's it. Well, it's part of the ownership, and yeah. yeah. you love your bike. You hang out with it in the garage, tell it jokes, and rub it. You, you know. So I, I think it's just one of the downfalls. I mean, tech on a bike is cool, but one of the downfalls, and well, it's giving you more performance, more safety, all the things. But one of the downsides is to protect their asses. They want the dealers to go in. But you know what? I'm also going to say, you know, as much as we help people work on bikes, work on our own bikes and all that, it's not the most horrible thing to keep supporting all the dealers with the labor on these bikes. No, I mean, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. You're not throwing your money away. You're supporting the, your community. I, I like the customers that work with your shop. You know, I, we like to joke the third mechanic or something, yeah. you know, right. where it's, you, you go ahead, take care of the juices and the fluids and the filters. And when you come in, I'm going to make sure your dry belt tension's appropriate. Your shocks aren't leaking. Your forks are good. And your brake pads, you know, we'll right. work together. But I learned that from a certain Emma somewhere. And right. it's a good approach <laughs> to put some of the power on their side of the fence, but to also remind them we're also here for the weird stuff, the scary stuff, and the safety stuff. Right. Exactly. And, you know, your primary focus is always to keep your customers safe above all else. And as long as you keep that and you genuinely care about the welfare of your customers, you can't go wrong. Absolutely. There you go. Well, um, we, Emma, you know, we have somebody signed up uh, to come to the garage next week. Yeah, Just for people to know, we, we have reopened, but it is by appointment only now uh, so that we don't have too many people there. Um, and we have another uh, uh, young person who just bought a old bike that they want it gone through and, and checked. KLR650. Exactly. First gen. Perfect. So uh, I'm looking forward to helping him out. Um, and uh, as we're wrapping up, I just want to share something that makes me happy. This is completely uh, not motorcycle related. But again, in this uh, climate of COVID and politics and all the things, we need things that keep that make us happy and there's something that makes me so happy and i just want to share it this is this is a free plug um there's a website called gold belly and you can go on there and order food from anywhere in the country they've got all these restaurants signed up Gold belly. and i have been i have been buying lobster macaroni and cheese from maine you've done it Wait, so what? What? oh multiple times what was the grilled cheese, cheese you just got? Oh, I just ordered I just ordered lobster grilled cheese sandwiches. That and here's the thing. It's ridiculously expensive. Uh four sandwiches uh with shipping, it's gonna cost me about thirty-five dollars a sandwich. Is that your COVID money? That's like COVID COVID <laughs> diet. Sandwich. But there's something about eating ridiculously overpriced <laughs> food that makes me so happy. Oh, indulgence. Now, now how, it's called how indulgence. You in... Huh? Say that again. How is this going to get you from Maine? Oh, it's shipped overnight in a cooler. That's the thing. It's, it's shipped overnight in a cooler. There's a guy Topper, and he sits yeah. How will this get to you from Maine? Trust me. Um, so I'm a big fan of whole clams. Which we can't I got a new get business racket, Rick. We're going into business. We can't get whole whole clams here. When you get fried walk. clams, it's just the, oh, the, the little muscle. Yeah. I love on the East Coast you get the whole belly clams. Yeah. I've also been ordering whole belly clams sent to me, not frozen, 
fresh and and I go and fry them all up. Oh, just like East Coast. It's ridiculous. I know, but um, I'm just What's sharing. What's wrong with that, Liza? Gold oh. belly. It's just something that makes me happy. Eating happy food. And you can get ribs from Kansas City. You can get anything you want. I've ride, ride to eat from Portland to Monterey before on a motorcycle. Yeah. Oh, bitchin'. Just to get there. I bought a cupcake carrier at a Target. So I'm thinking me and Jim can get together. I mean, let's all do it. And we can fence a bunch of donuts into California from Oregon after the okay, motor here- show in 2022. And if anyone else wants to join the gang, we're going to give them a box of donuts and say they have to go from Portland to Laughlin in eight hours. <laughs> oh, and actually, Rick, I can top that. Um, Bagel and I have flown from Watsonville to Half Moon Bay for lunch and back. Awesome. <laughs> it's a 30-minute ride. Fly to eat, eat to fly. We flew there for lunch and then flew back. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah. It was nice. So anyway, I just wanted to give that plug because I think everyone uh, could use something to just makes them happy. And for me, it's eating certain foods makes me fucking pie. (laughs) Oh shit! Towers, bowls, and sticks. All right, let's stop. Let's stop talking about food. I'm hungry now. I want to go eat. What do you guys think? Should we wrap this up? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. So hey, um. Big thanks uh, to everyone, uh, especially our Patreon subscribers. You guys are the best. Hey, Emma. Emma. Yes. What do you think next week? Should we do another Patreon listener episode? Yes. Okay. It's a secret. I'll announce it it last minute. Yeah, we'll keep it a secret. It's just you and me. Just you and me, darling. Don't tell anybody. No. Don't, Don't tell anyone. Don't tell them to keep checking Facebook. Don't don't tell them to subscribe to Patreon before next week. As a, as a way of thanking our Patreon so subscribers. So is, is that going to be the portal through the Book of Faces? <laughs> it might just be. Um, so thank you, everyone. Thank you to our listeners. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, to Austin for coming on. I'm I'm really – I'm going to get on it, Jim. I'm going to make sure there are more bikes for us to choose in the Black Hills – when we go there so we can go have some fun this summer. I like it. And, you know, I was going to go off on this little tangent, not to to belabor the point, but you had another good idea, which I thought was, let's say there's somewhere you go and you vacation a few weeks or months a year. Mm -hmm. You could buy an inexpensive dual sport, leave it there with a friend, rent it out. You know, that kind of thing. The reason we brought that up is you could buy one, leave it in Custer, Mm -hmm. go out there every now and then, ride, but when it's not there, rent it. It's that was my how, other plan. How, how many, yeah, yeah. I might just buy one and leave it with my friend and list it on Twisted Road and let, split like the money with her, yeah. just for mm-hmm. keeping it there. And yeah. then and it'll be there register, when I need it. If you can register well, it out there, it'd be a whole lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. I know. Like if you were Canadian, you could have a bike in San Diego, something like that. Head to Mexico. Come there's up here. So, there's so many things. All right, yeah. I think we are ready to get out of here. Okay, you guys, I'll let you figure out how you do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Liza. Bagel. I'm a Rick. (laughs) I'm a darling. (laughs) Make a gym, son. All right, and we are out of here. Oh, cool. 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 Cool.